Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. So uh, today I want to have a conversation about what one journalist uh, coined as the buzziest buzzword of the last two years, uh, authenticity. Have you been seeing this a lot? It's everywhere. It's turned into kind of a cliche because uh, the best way to come it across as disingenuous or in it, inauthentic is to tell anyone how authentic you are. Right? It's like telling your boss how successful and good at your job you are, telling your friends how kind and nice you are. Right? It, authenticity is more show than tell. But I think for most of us, it's become kind of an intrinsic value, like an unspoken requirement in our world. Like we need it. If we're going to participate in relationships, we're going to participate with an organization, even with like a brand now, we're expecting, even if we don't say it, we're expecting authenticity. And we've arrived in a section uh, in Genesis about a man named Jacob. And uh, he was given this name at birth, and Jacob means deceiver. That's a tough name to be given at birth, deceiver. And this section of Genesis, from Genesis uh, chapter 25 to Genesis 32, that's what we're going to look at today. It's a lot. It's the story of Jacob, the deceiver, slowly working himself in to a little bit of authenticity. It's his journey from deception to authenticity. And so I'm going to give you the, the recap version of this because it's eight chapters of Genesis and it's a lot of Bible. And then we're going to pull out a couple little sections uh, to talk about more, uh, more in depth, kind of zoom in on a couple of places. You may be familiar with some of Jacob's story, like Jacob and Esau, or Jacob's ladder, or Jacob wrestling with God. That's all right here in this section of Genesis chapter 25 through 32. So Jacob is the son of Isaac. We talked about Isaac last week. Isaac is the son of Abraham. So Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. Okay. So Isaac, Jacob's dad. Okay. We're gonna do lots of family treeing right now. So just stay with me. We're gonna do our best. Okay. So Isaac is Jacob's dad. Jacob has a twin brother named Esau. Okay. Jacob and Esau. Esau is the firstborn of the twins, and they are very different. Esau says he's a big man, he's a hairy man, he's smelly, he's out, he he likes to go into the wild country, the far country, and hunt. And Jacob, it says he likes to be uh, among the tents. He likes to stay at home. And Jacob is smaller, and he's favored by his mother, Rebekah. Esau, big guy, hunter, favored by his father, Isaac. And uh, Isaac is the first, I mean, uh, Esau, I'm going to just, we're going to do our best with the names, okay? Esau is the firstborn of these twins, Jacob and Esau. Um, But at the urging of his mother, Rebekah, Jacob tricks Isaac into giving him the blessing that's meant for Esau. So Esau is supposed to get this blessing that's meant for the firstborn. But Jacob, the deceiver, goes to his father's tent, Isaac. He's uh, really on his deathbed. He's, uh, he can't see. It says he's very, it's very hard for him to see. And Jacob uh, covers his hands. This is the part that would be uncovered uh, from his uh, clothes. He covers his hands and his neck in goat skins. 
because Esau, his brother, was very hairy. So he covers his hands, covers his neck, and he goes in and he convinces, he convinces his almost dead father that he's Esau. He tricks him. He deceives him. He says that he's Esau. And then eventually Isaac believes him and gives Jacob the blessing that's meant for Esau. This is, uh, of course, quickly found out, and Jacob flees. He leaves home. And while he's on the run, this is where he has the dream with the angels ascending and descending down a stairway. And uh, he hears, during this dream, he hears the same promise that God gave his grandfather, Abraham, that God was going to make this family, this one family, into a blessing for all people. So he has this dream, angels descending, ascending, this promise from God. And so Jacob decides, you know what? God is still with me. In some way, God must still be with me. So Jacob keeps traveling. He's still on the run from his family. And he travels further east until he finally uh, reaches his uncle's house. And his uncle's name is Laban. Okay, so we got Jacob, Esau, Isaac, Rebekah, and now Laban. Uncle Laban. Uncle Laban has two daughters. He's got Rachel and he's got Leah. And uh, Jacob, when he shows up, he decides that he wants to marry Rachel. And if you're thinking this is Uncle Laban and Uncle Laban's daughter is the one who Jacob wants to marry, yes, that is his cousin. You are correct. You're following the family tree. Okay, so Jacob decides he wants to marry Rachel, but Laban requires that Jacob work for seven years in his land before he marry his daughter. Jacob's really into this idea. He really loves Rachel. He wants to do it. So he works for seven years. At the end of the seven years, they throw a huge party. Uh, Laban is uh, serving the drinks. It's a full open bar. After everyone has had a lot to drink, it's the end of the night. Uh, instead of Laban sending Rachel into Jacob's tent, Laban sends Leah into Jacob's tent to consummate the marriage. Oops. And so uh, the deceiver has now been deceived. But Jacob still really wants to marry Rachel. And Laban says, okay, you can, but you have to work another seven years if you want to marry her. And so he does. He works another seven years. And now he's married to both of Laban's daughters, Rachel and Leah, his cousins. Yes, you got it right. This is a wild story. Eventually, uh, Jacob enacts uh, some revenge against Uncle Laban. Uh, he comes up with this kind of wild agriculture scheme uh, to, to take all of the strongest animals from the herd that they're supposed to be sharing. Uh, it kind of cheats Laban out, again, deceives him, cheats him out of, of what should be rightfully his. And again, as it always happens, Laban finds out. And so Jacob then has to flee from Uncle Laban's house where he's been living on this land as a family, he flees there with his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children. And he's on the run, moving across the land, looking for safety. Okay, so it's, uh, he is deceiving, deceiving, deceiving. He gets, he gets deceived a little bit, and then he enacts revenge, and now he's fleeing again. And then in Genesis 32, we, have, we get this really odd encounter, as if, I said odd encounter, as if the rest of the story wasn't weird. Um, but Jacob is approaching, Genesis 32, Jacob is approaching the homeland of his estranged brother Esau. So remember Esau? This is the original deception. Jacob deceives Esau out of this blessing that was meant for him. 
and Jacob is approaching Esau's homeland. And Esau is really the only hope that Jacob has to survive, right? He's out in the middle of nowhere. He's got this huge family with him, camping, essentially long-term camping. And Esau is the only hope he has, the only hope of survival. And the night before he's going to see Esau, he knows he's there about to meet. The night before he's about to see him, he wrestles through the night with an unknown man. It's an odd encounter. And there's not a lot of information here about what happens, but they end up wrestling to a draw, except that this unknown man touches Jacob's hip in such a way that he has a permanent limp. And that throughout this time, Jacob is demanding that the person bless him, the person he's wrestling with. And then in Genesis 32, verse 27, it says, The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, You will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. So Jacob wasn't just wrestling with an unknown man. He was wrestling with God, and God does bless him. His life is spared. Okay, so this man and this family have a wild, this is a wild story. This is not a normal story. This feels distant from us. There's a lot of really crazy stuff happening when you read through this. But it has a really interesting narrative arc here that I just want to point out and talk about for a second. So this story um, starts and ends the same way. Starts and ends the same way. Jacob demanding a blessing. So first he demands a blessing from his dying father, Isaac. And then in Genesis 32, with this unknown man who turns out to be God, he demands that he bless him. But there's one thing that changes from Genesis 27 to Genesis 32 and Jacob's demands for a blessing. In Genesis 27, when he goes in, Isaac asks him in verse 18, who are you? And Jacob replied, it's Esau. And then in Genesis 32, when he's wrestling with God, God asks, what is your name? But this time, finally, he answers, Jacob. And remember that Jacob means deceiver. Everyone knows it. It's not one of those, it's not like our names now where we have a name, but no one really knows what it means. Jacob was named deceiver. That's his name. And finally, he owns up to who he is. I am the deceiver. I am the deceiver. The whole story is deception, 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 deception. And when you're asking someone for a blessing, calling yourself the deceiver isn't usually the way to get it. And he knows that. And over and over again, Jacob is willing to do just about anything it takes to get what he wants. And then finally, right here in this divine wrestling match, Jacob owns who he is. I'm the deceiver. You see the difference in the narrative arc? It starts with deception and ends with just a hint. It's not like Jacob is living out his most authentic self, but you get just a hint of honesty, a hint of authenticity. And I think this big, wild, dramatic narrative shows us two things about authenticity. First, deception always leads to destruction. Deception always leads to destruction. Jacob, uh, his life is falling apart, okay? Falling apart. 
He's married to people he doesn't want to be married to. (laughs) He's fleeing out in the middle of nowhere. He's lost just about everything. His survival depends on someone who he's deceived. His life is falling apart. Deception always leads to destruction. And, And no matter how it feels at any given point in your life, I know sometimes in the moment you're you're in the middle of, it feels like that may not be true, but I'm telling you, deception always leads to destruction. So because of that, the invitation of the story is to start being honest, start being authentic, start being our true selves before everything comes crashing down. That the honesty, that the authenticity, that that all of that should start right now before we get to the destruction. And there's a lot of language uh, to help us describe this journey that Jacob is on from deception to authenticity. In the the New Testament, Paul uses this framework of flesh and spirit. It's, It's a way for him to contrast what it means to live an honest, healthy life with a life that's harmful and dishonest. Flesh and spirit. Flesh and spirit. And you might hear uh, words like ego to describe how Jacob is living. That would be maybe how a lot of us would describe. He's living out of his ego, out of his insecurity, out of his fear. But the the framework and language that I find most helpful uh, is from the 20th century monk and mystic Thomas Merton. If you haven't read Thomas Merton, uh, you should. He says this, Every one of us is shadowed by a person, a false self. My false and private self is the one who wants to exist outside of the reach of God's will and God's love, outside of reality and outside of life. And such a life cannot help but be an illusion. The secret of my identity is hidden in the love and the mercy of God. Therefore, there is only one problem on which all my existence, my peace, and my happiness depend, to discover myself in discovering God. If I find him, I will find myself. And if I find my true self, I will find him. Right? Merton introduces this idea of our true self and our false self. Right? Our, our false self is our ego, our flesh, our insecurity, our fear, our deception. That part of us that doesn't want to be seen. That part of us that protects our vulnerabilities, protects our insecurities. But our true self is the, is the one that Jesus calls us to. Our true self is that part that knows that we're beloved, that part that allows us to be honest, that part that reminds us we don't have to protect those vulnerabilities, but we can actually allow them to be seen. Right? Jesus calls upon this idea of true and false self when he says, if, any, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves, and whoever loses their self for my sake will find it. If you lose yourself, you will find yourself. If you lose your illusion of self, you will find your true self. Jacob's deception and eventual honesty is the journey from false self to true self. In all that deception, Jacob is projecting and protecting that which is fragile and vulnerable. All that deception is him just protecting his fear. He's dishonest. He's insecure. It's his false self. And then finally, when everything is crumbling, when he's really at rock bottom, we get just a hint of truth from him. He looks God in the eyes and says, I am the deceiver. And our work is to live into our true self now. 
that self that is hidden in the love and the mercy of God, that authentic, honest, vulnerable self that Jesus calls to us, that spirit life, as Paul says. That's our work. That unlike Jacob, we would find and practice our true self before the destruction of deception. Uh, Ron Howard tells a story about the, the very first film he directed. He took it uh, to be screened in front of an anonymous uh, audience. And um, it, it's uh, a test screening, so the movie's not totally finished, uh, but you get this audience to come in and give feedback on how it is. And um, Ron Howard uh, describes this first, the first movie he directed, he was starring in it also. He, he describes it as a car chase comedy that was as crude as you could be in 1977. And uh, Ron sat down in the very back of this theater for this test screening, and uh, in front of him sat an entire row of what he calls, not my words, his words, blue-haired ladies. So he says an entire row, about a dozen women over 65, sit in front of him to watch his very first film that is as crude as you can be in 1977. And he says that they laughed uncontrollably at all the stuff he thought was the most inappropriate. All the ridiculous stuff. His words, again, he says they laughed their heads off at the guys being hit by cars and being knocked over and being kicked in their downstairs. His words, not mine. Right? These women, they loved it, and he couldn't believe it, laughed the entire time. And then when the movie was over, these women collected themselves, and he stood at the, at the door of the theater as everyone walked, walked out, and he watched this group of a dozen women stand up and file one by one, and each one of them, one by one, on their way out, told them how much they hated the movie. They said it was crude, rude, and despicable. And they all marched out. Right When the lights were down and they felt like no one was watching, there were no expectations. They were free from judgment. They were themselves. But then when the lights came up and they looked around at their friends, they realized they had an expectation they needed to keep. as just true self, false self. And I wonder how much of our time we spend operating out of this false self that seeks to avoid judgment and live up to some made-up expectation. Our work is to live into our truest self, that self that is hidden in the love and the mercy of God, that authentic, honest, vulnerable self, that we would find that before we find the destruction of deception. Authenticity, vulnerability, living as our true self. How are you doing with that? I wonder how you would grade yourself. If you thought the framework as false self and true self, where, where are you falling on that spectrum? And I, I wonder if you're experiencing any of that destruction that comes with deception. Maybe it's not your own deception. Just as a reminder, our deception never happens in a vacuum, and the destruction doesn't either. There's always collateral damage. Maybe you're in the destruction zone from someone else's deception. Or maybe it's your own. I wonder if you're experiencing any of that. And then if someone asks, who are you? That's the question Jacob gets asked that, that he answers differently from 
Genesis 27 to Genesis 32. Who are you? Do you have an answer? In, in the ancient Near East, your name was more than just words. Your name was your identity. Your name was reflective of your character, your substance, the very fiber that made you. And so when Jacob gives a fake name and then a real name, he's answering who he is. I wonder if you have an answer for who you are. Maybe this talk of true self, false self, brings some anxiety up in you because you don't know who you are. Or maybe you've been denying parts of who you are for so long, it feels like you may not be able to find them anymore. You and I, we have pasts, we have families, we have things we've done, mistakes, where we've been. All of it has shaped us into who we are today. And denying any of it will not get us any closer to our true selves. We don't have to be proud of it, but we have to claim it. Owning our story is a part of living as our true self. I wonder if you have an answer to who are you. And then do you have anyone that you can be honest with, vulnerable with, authentic with? It it took Jacob literally wrestling with God to finally be honest. And I just wonder if you have someone that you'll be honest with, that there is no judgment, that you're free of expectations, that you can look in the eye and tell the truth. Do you have someone? This is the invitation of this wild, dramatic story that probably feels pretty distant for us that unlike Jacob, we would find and practice our true self before the destruction of our deception. This Jacob story, it's really an anti-hero story. He, he is the main character in the story, but he's not a, a great guy. But he does experience this kind of transformation, or at least a kind of transformation where he's humbled enough to be honest for a moment. There's this really uh, poignant section in Genesis 32, right, right before Jacob wrestles with God, right, right before he's about to meet his estranged brother and beg for help. He's on the run. He's at his rock bottom. And so far, this entire story, Jacob uh, has been projecting. He's really dishonest. He's not a very likable character. And then finally, he, he literally sits down. He sits down in the middle of Genesis 32, and he blurts out, I am afraid. I am afraid. And it just feels like when you're reading through it, like there it is. No, No more posturing. He's desperate. And I think maybe just being able to say out loud, I'm scared. I'm afraid. May just be our first little baby step towards being our true selves. A lot of our false self is just us trying to cover up our fear. We walk around all pretending like we aren't afraid about what's happening in our world and in our life. And maybe we just need to say it out loud today. I'm afraid. I'm scared. It's just a little bit of your true self. Today is my last sermon before taking a paternity leave. I'll likely, hopefully, be at church next week, but won't be teaching, and then I'll be out uh, for a little while. And honestly, I'm afraid. 
it's just scary. Katie's having a C-section scheduled for February 22nd, by the way. She's having a C-section and it's scary. And we're about to have two kids and two kids is twice as many as one kid. And it's scary. It's just all scary. And I'm afraid. And pretending to not be afraid doesn't make it any less scary. It just makes me feel more alone. And so listen to me, learn learn from Jacob. Don't wait another day. Don't wait another moment to be your honest, to be your true, your most authentic self. Pretending doesn't make your life any easier, any better. It probably makes it harder. And I bet it makes you feel more alone. So gather, this is my prayer for us today. Take off the mask. Stop pretending. No more false self-living. You are safe. You are loved. And trust that if you find your true self, you will find God. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.